stories turn songs into symphonies, events into memories, and lives into legends. In our crowded world, knowing your story cuts through the noise so you can make your mark, whether you want to sell more books, increase profits, or just make a difference. At Sterling & Stone, story is our business. The Story Studio Podcast is where we explore ways we can all tell our stories better. And now, with the Story Studio Podcast number 42, here's Johnny, Sean, and Dave. Yo, yo, welcome to the Story Studio Podcast. I guess I'm making, making it kind of hip now. Um, so we want to talk about adaptations and speci- uh, specifically like how, <clears throat> I mean, what, how would you frame this, Sean? Because we want to do adaptations, but like kind of what works and what doesn't. Not because we think people are going to be doing an adaptation, but because the way that they're done t- says a lot about story and choices within a story. Well, right. It's not just choices within a story. It's like... Um, uh, Understanding what makes something popular or commercial, especially uh, current adaptations. So if you look at adaptations back in the 80s, say, I, I mean, let's start with It, which is a really good example. Because I know that some people have a fondness for the It adaptation. Those people should watch it again. The I, the show? <laughs> I am not one of those people. I thought it was terrible at the time. And even though it came out in the 80s and I was a kid, I'd already read the book. So I was like informed. I think those <laughs> people just like Tim Curry a lot and they want another Rocky Horror. He was a terrible Pennywise. The, and, and he was the best thing about that show. Who should like, play the far. terrifying clown? I know Tim Curry. I'm trying to imagine that in a, in a meeting. It's just stunt casting and just terrible. So, um, but if you look at the modern one, while not a perfect adaptation, John it is Ritter very in it? good. Uh, yes, he played Ben. Okay, uh, another interesting <laughs> choice. Yeah, it's just it's that's when he was like, "Look, I could grow a beard. I'm not just Jack Trevor." <laughs> like it was just, it was not good. They should have um, put Mr. Roper in it as Pennywise. <laughs> as Pennywise, <laughs> or Mr. Farley. Actually, that's better. The Don Knotts. It also had uh, I forget his name. He was the dude from Night Court, and he played Dave Barry, Harry Anderson. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah. <clears throat> Another weird choice. Let's not put any serious actors. Only comic actors in this. He was Richie Trashmouth Tozier. That actually worked for me. Um, him, but yeah, whatever. Like it was not good. It was. It was. But the the new one, it really is going into what makes things popular. So. If you look at the t- sign of the times, 80s, the 80s version of it, it did fit the time. The new version of it really does fit the times. Um, and if you look at something like Gunslinger or The Dark Tower, we I think we did a whole show on yeah, why that, that didn't shit. fit anything. Right. Well, that fits somebody's budget <clears throat> and nothing else. Exactly. That's a good example of, hey, we have this IP. We should do something with did it. Did they before. go over budget? <laughs> um no, I don't think it did go over budget. Oh. I think that I think it was one of those things where they had to use up the um, license before it was out of their hands and yeah. like the option expired. And so they just, oh, we'll make a terrible movie because that's better than making no movie. How can at all. we tell two million words worth of story in 90 minutes? I know. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of issues with that that I just really, really hate. Um, and I think King, I mean, we could, I don't want to. This, or not at least this time, but we could do a whole episode of just King adaptations because those are all over the map too. Yeah, I think, them- that Ki- I think that King should not be allowed near his own adaptations. I think he's wonderful in prose. 
I think he translates horribly to to video. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on that, but that that's everything I've seen because he did that TV miniseries format um, for for all sorts of things like the stand. The original was done that way. Yeah, but that was the '80s. They were. It was like that's what they did. Is all those. Um, well, but it wasn't just the format. It was like there's something about his his aesthetic for me anyway that works really well in prose. That 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 small town, like the characters that he. Well, because you can't get into people's heads. Yeah. You know. So, so when just, he tries to translate them, but without that backstory inside people's heads, it's like it just doesn't work for me. So. Um, uh, I, I mean, I know this is kind of a mixed bag. It's just the first one that came to me. But if you compare Stephen King's The Shining to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, they're very different movies. Um, I, Sean, I think you're an outlier on this. I, but Kubrick's I, is so yeah. much better for me. Um, but there are other close. examples of King movies that have been done. Like Stephen King. Okay, so Stephen King was behind Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> I mean, that was a winner. Do you remember Maximum yeah, Overdrive with I, Emilio I, Estevez I, at the truck stop? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually never saw it. I really wanted to. I thought the trailer was awesome, but I heard how terrible it was, and my parents went to go see it and told me how terrible it was. <clears throat> um, well, where are you, where are you going? Because you started talking about King, and then I kind of interrupted you with that. Aside. Oh well, I just think King himself is a really good study because um, is it people who really understand him, and I think that you just hit it. It's not King. <sighs> King is so misclassified a lot of times because he's just referred to as a genre writer or horror writer, but there's so much more to him than that. And it really is about, in fact, uh, in in Haley's um, English class uh, a couple of weeks ago, they had a, they had a response prompt essay that they had to write. And it was in response to this guy, he was the 72 year old Yale professor who was talking about the death of literature in America. And he was just really incensed that Stephen King had just won some kind of award um, for like lifetime achievement, something like that. Literature and, um, should only be obtuse. Yes, yeah, and and he he said some really ridiculous things in this article, including he'd rather children didn't read than reading Harry Potter. <laughs> I'll bet that guy doesn't like uh, indie publishers. <laughs> no, I'm sure he doesn't. Or fun. So, yeah, he was just a real dick bag, and um, and Haley Haley wrote like five times the amount that she was supposed to as a response. She just really got going. And um, the, 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 I mean, Stephen King really does have a, a unique gift to make us believe his characters, um, even if we don't believe the situations or think the endings are terrible. <laughs> and so when he, when he pairs down, um, I mean, some of the best movies ever made are Stephen King, you know, works. Um, Stand By Me was the short story of The Body. Um, obviously, the Green Mile, which was hugely, hugely influential in some of the Shawshank stuff Redemption. Shawshank is going to be on, yeah. Shawshank, Shawshank is going to be on any top hundred list you've ever seen, and and that's Stephen King. It's not scary, but, but King it is didn't about adapted himself to to the to right. The point. Well, he 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 should never be anywhere near his adaptations. <laughs> right, exactly. So, what do you think makes for a good? I mean, here I'll, I'm going to answer my own question first, but then I'll open the floor because I just want to say this and I don't want to forget it. Um, I think that the cardinal rule to uh, making a good ad- adaptation, whether you make it or not, like understanding the choices made, is that I think you need to divorce from the idea of the source material uh, as a literal in a literal interpretation and understand that it is going – you have to basically – I think that they look at the intention of the source material and then step back, detach from it, and say, okay, now how do we make this thing 
in this new okay, format. Okay, all right. You actually, you actually have something. Uh, okay, so a little background here. Uh, Johnny and I have been talking a lot um, about adaptations and like our work specifically. We just got back from a four-day trip to LA where we were um, pitching um, for this exact reason, and we actually have a property. I'm, I'm not. We haven't discussed this, so I'm not sure if you want to talk about it, Johnny, because it's it's a little bit close. But there is a property that has a screenplay written where they had to make choices to change things that Johnny had. Oh written. no, we've talked about this. Was um, it decoy wallet? Yeah, no, I can, I, I can, I can mention this. I, I can definitely mention the. Um, I, I don't want to talk about specifics because I don't know what the rules are. But it's it's for Fat Vampire. We've talked about this before. There, there's a a pilot and a first um, episode written, and I finally get to read those. And it is, it's really, really interesting to read something that, that I created and that somebody else reimagined. And I could see a lot of writers. So he changed one character dramatically. Um, like pretty much everything about him. <laughs> yeah, I mean everything, like everything. This is a totally different character other than his function within the the, the plot. Um, he added a character to, he, I don't know, he took some liberties. And um, the style is different. Like the style feels just a little different from what I did, but but in the same vein. And um, I could see a lot of writers being kind of fussy about that and, and being maybe a little precious and like, oh, well, you can't change that character. It's really, I mean, I did double take when he told me because he told me over lunch. And, and I kind of <laughs> went, well, but that throws off a whole bunch of stuff. And it didn't matter though, because this is a totally separate medium. But my point is that when I actually read it, I'm like smiling and nodding. I'm like, this is really, really cool. First of all, it's a really cool experience to see somebody's adaptation of something that we did. Um, but also, I understand that it's totally different and it's its own medium. And I appreciate that he took it in those directions, even though they're not the directions I took it in. I actually thought you were going to talk about some of the things that we were talking about um, for the structure of invasion, some of the things that we realized. And I think we can talk about this because it's not in development specifically with oh, anybody. Oh, I think we could totally talk about this. Yeah, actually, no, I was talking about the fat vampire stuff because I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah. You actually had somebody who, I mean, we that's our first first-hand account. So with invasion, at least as of right now, we're talking about making some of those changes ourselves or, or at least, you know, understanding those changes so we could pitch it effectively where... Um, uh, with um, with Fat Vampire, that's kind of already in the process, and somebody had to respond to what you had written and, and adapt it. Yeah, to be clear, I didn't have any hand in writing that at all. It was somebody else. Yeah, but yeah, let's go ahead and talk about Invasion. Well, I mean, so so the inv- if you haven't read, I mean, spo- there's going to be some spoilers for the Invasion series. I don't think they're going to be big ones, and you may not care. I don't think those kind of spoilers that are a problem, but the first book um, of Invasion actually doesn't have any aliens in it. It, it. The ships show up at the end. Dave laughs every time because this was his objective. <laughs> Take a shot if you didn't know that. <laughs> so the, the ships arrive at the end and then book two, the ships are around, but we still don't see any aliens until the end of book and two. What, what's the second book called? Uh, Contact. Contact. So there's no so real there's contact. No, contact. <laughs> no, each of these things happens in the last few pages. You get an invasion at the end of invasion. You get contact. So basically, at the end just of read the last chapter of each book, and you'll be good to go. <laughs> um, That's a true story. I still argue that it works, uh, in my opinion, quite well in the books. And the, the I, I agree. I, I love I love what we do in the books, but I also understand that TV is a different 
Right, and that's kind of the whole point, is that something can work in one medium, but it needs to evolve to work in a different medium. And that's sort of what we're realizing here is, and we've been told by several people, look guys, you can't, you have to have aliens in the pilot. You you just have to. Um, I just finished watching Colony, which got canceled after two seasons, I think. And um, it was a cool show and it had a lot of tension, but I got really annoyed that the damn aliens didn't show up. (laughs) Um, And they don't show up until the middle of the second season. Like it's really long before you even figure out who the hell these aliens are outside of their like exosuits, which you don't even see them until the end of the first season. And people gave up on it. People gave up on it. And um, so that it's kind of a, a rule. You, you can't um, – we were talking to somebody and he had something with like – it had a mob element. And he's like, you got to have the mob guy in the first – in the pilot. Like you have to set up these these hooks right away. And that's the sort of thing that – anyway, long story short, we realize we need to have aliens in the pilot. We need to get to the punch of what the show is really about rather than taking our time. People, that's not really an artistic choice that we get to make. And, and here's the thing about adaptation. I think this is the bottom line is that when you're adapting something or when somebody is adapting something that you have, like if you're fortunate enough to get an adaptation, then you have to acknowledge that the person who is adapting that, it's going into another medium. So maybe they're updating your story. Maybe it's going to be a podcast, an audio drama. Maybe and they're it's gonna probably going to be better at it than you are. Right. And and I think that this is, to Johnny's point, you know, don't let Stephen King be anywhere near his adaptations. It's because he thinks that he understands the story because he wrote it, which is true. He does understand the story because he wrote it. That doesn't mean he understands the medium that it's going to be taken to. And so we get precious on the stories that we have told, but like we've gone every single time Johnny and I have ever had a meeting with anybody about adapting our work. It's always been, yeah, do what you need to do. And I think the fat vampire guys were a little suspicious because I don't think they're used to hearing that. And they kept, I think thinking that eventually we're going to have a problem with this, (laughs) you know, but yeah, he told me on the phone that, that, you know, you may change a little bit. This was beforehand. And, and when I was like, I don't care, like it just make it awesome. It doesn't need to be awesome in the specific way that, that I envisioned it. And I think he he was so relieved. He was like, Oh wow. You know, some, some authors will have bitched me out in the past. And then, yeah, I think it, when we had lunch with them last week, it was like, there was an element of, okay, I'm just being a little guarded. Like they were very fun, but it was, I'm going to announce something and maybe you're not going to like it. And um, I don't have a problem with it at all. So to circle back on the invasion thing, what we, I think we like this idea, Um, Sean, I'm not sure. Because we started with the idea of foreshadowing alien um, encounters and the fact that this has happened again and again in flashbacks and pointing to Meyer Dempsey's connection to the aliens through various means. But um, I pitched, and I think that we, I think we like this, that when, as we pitch this more and more, I think we're going to start kind of inching the alien invasion back. Um, I more and more like the idea of the aliens. Now, again, for the TV adaptation, not for the books, we're not going to change the books. The aliens maybe arrive at the midpoint of the pilot, which would be the midpoint of book one, if we were to translate it backwards. And then for the second half of the book, instead of fighting the ticking clock of the aliens are going to come, they can actually be running from alien ships. And it doesn't have to change anything else, doesn't have to change what happens in the end, but we would be able to see aliens on the ground, we'd see ships coming, it would have all those big set pieces because that's what that medium demands. I think I, I think when we, we look at um, an adaptation, we have to look at it like collaboration, where yes. Yes. Y- you are working with somebody that uh, 
in best circumstances is going to tell your story, but tell it in, in a different way. And it's no longer just your story. It's, it's a shared story. And when it's done well, it's, it, it, it not only brings attention to you as a writer and your original book, but also you're, you're brought to a whole new audience that uh, gets to see your stuff. And like I said, done well, um, like The Walking Dead is a, a good and bad example of adaptation. Uh, they changed, they deviated from the comics. And, and in some cases, I think Robert Kirkman, like, you know, he wrote these things in the comics and then he had a chance to think about it. He's like, well, I wish I'd done that a little different. Okay, wait, Dave, let's stick with The Walking Dead for a second. What do you think is the, sh- the, the show creator, or I guess the show runner, people who are involved in the show... What do you think that their allegiance is to the source material versus satisfying, or not even the, the source material, but the integrity of the show, their vision versus what the fans are asking for? Because I think The Walking Dead kind of had to play both of those. Um, I, I I think I I honestly, and I, I don't remember the example. Um, I know I've written about it before. I feel there was, there was some network uh, interference at some point that dictated some changes. Um, I, I feel. Changes, see, I can't remember. Uh, damn, I wish I did. Uh, ba- basically, I, I think the story is at its best when it takes its time and develops characters nicely. And sometimes there would be, you know, it would just be very action heavy for the sake of action. Like they were trying to satisfy the, the minority of people that bitched and moaned that it was a soap opera. Uh, and then they just kind of like, gave the character work short shrift, but there's a lot of people that complain and rightly so that they fucked up a lot of the characters. Um, So it's kind of a, it's kind of a case where it became so huge in that uh, it's sort of like a return on investment. Like, you know, you know, the, 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 the the board always wants to see more money. So like if a video game does well, the next video game has to do even better, uh, regardless of how that happens. And you, you begin to kind of screw up the thing that was working well, because you're trying to uh, appease the corporate masters. Um, but I feel like when the good, the, the good things that the walking dead has done well, I think like, uh, like they've introduced characters like Daryl, uh, that's not even in the comics, and Carol is. Uh, Wait, Daryl wasn't in the comics. No. Oh, I uh, didn't know. Okay. And <laughs> Car- Carol is a much stronger character uh, than in the comics, and I, I think you know it, it's a situation where you know done right, uh, it, it works. But but there's also things Walking Dead has gotten wrong, so it's good and bad examples in there, and um, yeah. But one one thing I did want to talk about uh, today, and I don't want to spoil anything, and I'm not going to, because you guys haven't seen it, and it's relatively new, "Haunting of Hill House" uh, on Netflix, uh, done by right, Mike. Some, yeah, some background here. So Dave, uh, Dave said this last night. He's like, "You guys got to watch this." And um, so uh, Johnny says, "Well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Can I really watch it? But is that a no? No, yeah, I want to watch it." Alone. Yeah, it, it, because everybody's so curious about this, I'll just I'll just say what I mean here is when I have to fit. Um, I only I have the same sort of TV routine as Sean does. Like it's you know one show a night or two shows a night, and so I can get through things. Like that's that's nice. I can just roll with it. But if I if Robin won't watch him with me, then I need to hollow out some other time to watch it. 
And that's what I was saying is, I don't know. And Dave's like, well, it's, I think it, she'll like it. I'm like, it's called the haunting of Hill House. That is the opposite of the kind of things that she likes. So, so, so it's based on a Shirley Jackson novel. Um, and I, I believe there, uh, there was a movie about it before, uh, but it is an adaptation. And uh, Mike Flanagan did it. He did Gerald's Game for Netflix. Uh, he did a movie, Hush. Um, the Gerald's Game is just a, it's a movie. It's not Yes, a- it's a movie. And, and this guy does character work so fucking good. And uh, I'll get to this in a moment. But basically, he, he's taken a, a haunted house sort of story in it's hard to really do anything new with a, a haunted house, but the the way he plays with timelines and it goes back and forth between uh, kids and adult version. Like something happened at this house, and the the way the the episodes break down, it, it sort of it focuses on one character per episode in the first ones anyway. I haven't finished the series yet, uh, but I, I'm sure it's going to deliver. Um, but it focuses on the characters and you, you, you're kind of just thrown into it in the first episode and the first episode really, I didn't connect with yet because like everything was just kind of happening and I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Uh, but then as each episode, uh, unfolds it's like an onion and you start to learn why this character did this thing is all these pieces of a puzzle coming together to tell this story and they do it in such an intelligent way i don't think i've seen it done this well ever on television before um it's just so phenomenal and they're they're telling a, a haunted house story but the characters are what just makes it absolutely uh, amazing and like I didn't read the book, but I can't imagine a book is anywhere near this good. Um, and well, I'm they sure have so much more time to like tell their story, right? Yes, uh, but but and here's the part where Johnny might uh, like this. Af- after you see this and you see how good this guy is, uh, maybe go watch Gerald's Game and Hush because those were also very good. Uh, he's a writer, director, editor, uh, and he did Oculus. I mean, he's done a lot of good stuff. Why, why would I like that? Is because I is because I said that the book uh, Gerald's Game was a piece of shit. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, you're going to like it because he's going to tackle next. Um, the thing he's doing next is Doctor Sleep. <laughs> oh well, maybe he can turn that piece of shit around too. <laughs> right, and I, if anybody can do it, he can. Because uh, this guy just understands characters on next level. Doctor I mean, Sleep was the so rare good. book that ruined the one before it. It's like, hey, remember <laughs> that great book that you wrote, Stephen King? Let's shit all over it. You know, it's funny because since you said that, uh, that's like an ending to a series. <laughs> I've had people contact me and say, like, uh, completely unrelated, and say how damn good Doctor Sleep is. So I fucking I'm hated it. I thought it was the <laughs> stupidest thing ever, but but I reserve the right to be wrong. Yeah. Well, okay, Johnny, what did you hate about it? Was it that it... it Without spoiling? It, well, right. Okay, would you have hated it so much if it wasn't um, related to The Shining, which is one of your favorites? Um, I don't think I would have hated it as much because then it wouldn't have been a middle finger. Like, I felt like uh, I felt like it was... But I also didn't like it. Like, the story... It, I don't know if that makes any sense. So, so basically, I didn't like the story... But then when you suddenly say, oh, okay, um, we're tying it to, to The Shining, which was was really, really good as a book. By the way, did you ever read that, either of you? Read The Shining? The Shining? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've read The Shining 
two or three times. Oh, okay, I thought you hadn't read it. I've but... not read it. I bought it to read it just so I could get to Doctor Sleep because I do have that. Okay, well, it's <laughs> it, it's 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 a really good book. I know it came out in the seventies, right? Yeah, I know. I saw the movie though. I usually I don't like to read a book after well, I've seen a movie. The adaptation is nothing. I mean, it's 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 nah. a guy in a hotel, but other than that, right. it's not the same book at all. Not even story, um, which is another good example. So. I don't. I want to come back to this, but but Kubrick's Shining is very much Kubrick's Shining. It's not King's Shining at all. Um, anyway, so but yes, I I just I thought this I thought the story was kind of blah and uninteresting. But then when you tied it to The Shining, then it actively made me hate it. <laughs> um. So what about what makes for a what makes for a good adaptation? Just the fact that it's it's taking. Okay, so let me give another bad example because I think that. Taking the spirit of uh, of a project and then twisting it and making something new is kind of what a good adaptation is, but it can also go horribly yeah, wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the one that um, that I was going to mention, I think I've mentioned it before, is World War Z, which is just like they just bought an idea. Oh, okay, so there's a there was a zombie war. End of sentence. Full stop. Let's pay no more attention to the source material other than that. And so I, I don't actually remember whether World War Z was a good story i remember being just very very vanilla and uninteresting like the book or the movie the book well, was the, great the yeah the, the movie was um it was just a little wide i kind of like the movie i mean for a popcorn movie i went in with low expectations it, yeah, it was it was popcorn um but i the remember it's so the good the scenes yeah the scenes of the zombies like running is this massive horde pretty damn close to every nightmare I've ever had. But have you ever, I realize that I'm violating what I just said about taking the spirit, but have you read World War Z? No, no. The idea of World War Z as a book did not interest me at all. And I know that's weird. Way a lot of people, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's fascinating because they, I know a lot of people love it, but to me, I didn't, the idea just seemed, it's one of the best books that I've read. I really, really liked World War Z. I think I read it <clears> twice because it's an you're oral. You're strange fellow. <laughs> yeah, it's an oral history, and they it's told through these different snippets of these different areas of the world. And so, like, what we did with Dead City was just in one little city, and but we had to focus in one little area. This is, like, the scope of the entire world telling what, what you know, we, we always forget that. Like, all these different areas where things happen, and you start to think, like, there's this whole thing on how hard it was to fight the zombies, things you couldn't fit into a movie, because they they don't feel fear. So normally when you're fighting an army, there's some element of if you shoot enough of them, then they're going to back off or something. But the zombies don't give a shit. Like you knock the, down the ones like in front of them and they keep coming. They're like honey badger. They're all a bunch of honey badgers. Um, so did the book have a – see, the thing that I didn't like about the book is like when I read a book, I want to read like a narrative of these people that are in the whole book. This felt like a collection of un – connected stories well do but they that, connect that's oh yes well they connect in that they're telling the story of the zombie war so but not character there's no central character so i think the reason that i'm giving this as an anti-example is because i think that a good adaptation should have the freedom to be different but it should take the spirit of what is awesome in the original and i think that world war z took the idea of the original but didn't take what was awesome in it if that makes any sense yeah, well, it needs to understand the idea, like the the theme. So one of the things that we kept talking about uh, yesterday on our call was, what is this show supposed to be? 
right? What is it supposed to be? This is a totally so different show, by the way. That we're this is a popcorn. totally different show, right? This is brainstorming like blue sky ideas for a show that may or may not be on the air one day and actually had nothing to do with our existing catalog. <laughs> but it's still the idea of if this show goes on the air and it's there for eight years, we have to set that foundation from the very beginning to say, you know, what do these characters have to, to stand for? What, what, what do they mean? Because if they have meaning, then the show has meaning. And if the show has meaning, then it could possibly have longevity. You're not doing that show about me, are you? Yes. <laughs> yes. Damn it. We actually are. No, but interestingly, and I don't want to give any, any detail at all on this because it's so, so fresh clay, but um, it is based on something real. And that's an interesting adaptation. Oh, that's true. There is adaptation there to talk about. Right, and it's it's such that there is a a real life person who I I couldn't help. I don't know if you were doing this, Sean, because you actually know him better. Um, I could imagine this person watching the show and and people who know him watching the show and going, "Well, I get that this is the same thing, but also not the same thing at all. Like it's got some of the same stories, some of the same names, but not at all the same thing." I was thinking that the whole meeting, like, okay, maybe we need to change his name or I need to have a conversation with him to say, like, just so you know, this isn't really, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. It, it, <laughs> well, he's already on board, but I think to okay. know specifically what what is, is, is going to happen. Because when you're, when you're adapting um, anything that's real life, now, not, not that we have extensive experience with this, but um, your life doesn't always tell a real interesting story. Like life is just kind of it. It just happens, and so finding those those nuggets and changing things, taking artistic liberties. We saw this is actually fascinating, and I know that we're we're just about at time here, but I want to go into this. When we were at Austin Film Festival, we saw a script to screen a panel on the Disaster Artist, that which is fantastic. it was really really good. And so the Disaster yeah, Artist. So we haven't done an episode on the AFF yet, have we? We could do that next time. I know we should do that. Um, so the disaster artist is the the story behind the people who made the room, which is this like legendarily terrible movie with a decent budget, like they a five million dollar budget. Have you seen the room? Mm. Yeah, it's no, terrible, but like Birdemic, but uh, but different. I was willing to do Birdemic for this show, but nothing more. <laughs> and this kid, the character who's behind it is um, named Tommy Wiseau, and he's just this. Re- you can't believe this is a real person. Like he's just crazy. Like he's. Nobody knows where he's from or where his money comes where from. Money comes from. He pretends like he's 30 years old and he's got to be like 60. Um, <laughs> he wears like five belts at all time. Like he's just this crazy, overly dramatic guy. And um, and in his... Uh, uh, Is it a, like Andy Kaufman situation where he's like completely... Maybe, everyone? but if so, he it's never possible. goes out of character. Yeah, it's possible. And in the care of uh, Greg, I think is if the other he guy. He is. Right? He is genius. Like the most <laughs> genius person ever. Greg is his friend, right? That's uh, the guy's name. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Greg, Greg, and Tommy made a movie starring the two of them, and it's just it's just terrible. And so the the disaster artist is about that process. And so this panel, they were talking about the decisions that they made to adapt this real life story so that it would make a good story on the page. And so just one example was in real life, um, let's see if I get this right. Greg went out to L- LA to try oh, and make it in the movie example. business. And Tommy stayed, he stayed in Tommy's apartment because he Tommy has like five apartments because he's rich for some reason that nobody knows. And Tommy stayed back in, yeah, Tommy stayed back somewhere else. I don't remember where they're from. And 
Um, and then like a distance kind of started to grow between them before they made the room, before they made this movie. And um, the, but the filmmakers were like, well, that's a weird arc to have them separate and then come together for the movie. He says, we, it makes a better story if the movie is what broke their friendship or tested their friendship because it didn't break it. Um, and so they, they actually moved Tommy out with Greg. They both moved out in the movie, but they didn't in real life because it tells a better story. And many other things. All right. So um, adaptations. That was fun. I could talk more about adaptations another time. I'm waiting for the adaptation of Worst Show Ever with uh, Dave's very, or very Davey Chris. We're moving into a position <laughs> where maybe we could pitch that at some point, Dave. Oh, I would love like an animated <laughs> let's, show. Let's pitch that to our new friend. Um, okay. Well, we can pitch it with the sitcom guy or the reality show guy. Oh, he both. That's correct. Right. We're having lunch with him next week. All right. Perfect, All right. Dave. Your your life will be a... Can you imagine signing Dave's life rights? He would never... It would be ridiculous. He would never sign that. Are you kidding? Actually, no, he probably would because you can't give your phone company, but you can put pictures of your kid on the website and sign no, away your life rights. I bet you that if they offered Dave a million dollars for his life rights, he'd be too paranoid to take the deal. Or he'd sign away his decoy life. I would sell my soul. Dave's <laughs> been building a decoy life all along so that if this ever happens. Yes. Wow. All right, oh, everybody. All right, everybody. So thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Adios. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. You're invited to join us at the final Smarter Artist Summit on February 18th and 19th in Austin, Texas. Authors and publishing experts from around the world will join us to teach you strategies that will outlast the what's working yesterday tactics everyone else is talking about. Attendance is limited, so reserve your spot at smarterartistsummit.com now.